Welcome to Real World Talk, a podcast that brings together healthcare leaders to discuss the importance of real world data in accelerating drug development and improving cancer care. Real World Talk is brought to you by CODA, a company that combines oncology expertise with advanced technology and analytics to create clarity from fragmented and often inaccessible real world data. This afternoon, I'm joined by the founder and executive chairman of CODA, Dr. Andrew Pecora. Dr. Pecora has been an innovator in the oncology space for over 25 years and currently serves as the CEO of OMI, a company that is dedicated to improving clinical outcomes and reducing the total cost of care. Dr. Pecora, thank you for taking the time to join us today on Real World Talk. Happy to be here. Perhaps we could kick off by having you talk to us a little bit about your background and what motivated you to start CODA. Sure. Happy to do it. So I'm a trained hematologist, oncologist, and also a basic scientist in the fields of stem cell biology and immunology. And I've been involved in the evolution of those fields and their application in cancer and now other diseases. Along the way, because of what I've done in healthcare and in formation of large physician groups and other things I've done with Hackensack Meridian Health, I got invited to be part of a group of people in the United States thinking about the total cost of care and the problem the nation is facing in that as more and more therapies come to market and people are living longer and aging, that total cost of care burden as a percentage of the total economy was becoming disproportionate. And then work done by Don Berwick, who is one of CODA's former board members, and others showed that we, in fact, may have been wasting one out of three dollars in the application of healthcare. And so I started to think about the problem and realized that unlike the biology problems that I deal with, this was not a biology problem. This was an information technology problem. I don't know a whole lot about that. So I started to study it and think about and talked to a lot of really smart people and came to realize that if we're really going to change healthcare at scale, we have to have a practical solution at the point of care to be utilized by physicians, by healthcare administrators, by payers, and also by the life science industry so that the transfer of information to make better decisions, value-based decisions can come into the 21st century. And that was the genesis of CODA. And with that idea, and then the technology breakthrough of figuring out how to digitize the biologic narrative, turn a paragraph of biology into a number of ones and zeros, we were able to uh, create the company CODA that is here today. That's a great background. As we have seen time and time again, cancer data is so complex, and CODA is trying to address that head on each day. Shifting to a topic that is being widely covered day in and day out, COVID-19. Its impact on our healthcare system is constantly being measured. And I'd like to gather your thoughts about what this means for cancer patients and their treatment. Perhaps we could start with discussing the difficulties that are being encountered in terms of documenting this and really tracking a patient's medical record and their journey during this time. Sure. So a couple of parts to your question. The first part is what has been the impact on COVID-19 in particular problematic for cancer patients? Well, in addition to the fact that cancer patients, not all of them, but but many of them are by and large immunosuppressed, they, they bear a greater risk 
of once infected, having a more severe infection and having a bad outcome than someone with an otherwise normal immune system. So that's one thing. The second thing, which I think is turning into a way bigger problem, is that appropriately, when we shut down the economy and we shut down people's travels and told people to shelter at home, all done for the right reasons to control the pandemic, it had the unintended consequence of putting fear in the mind's eye of people so that we have many, many patients across the United States with active cancers that are growing inside their body that instead of coming and seeking care, early diagnosis, diagnosis and treatment, they're sitting at home while their tumors are progressing. And we've already started to see in my own practice, I have seen several examples of people presenting with way more advanced cancer than they otherwise would have presented with had this COVID-19 problem not existed. And as a consequence of those people, their outcomes, even with the best of care, are not going to be as good as if they had shown up a month or two early. You see, most cancers double every 30 days. So two or three months is material in the amount of cancer in your body and how far it can spread. And there's all sorts of statistics. I'll quote one, American Cancer Society, along with the gastrointestinal, uh, gastrointestinal groups, professional societies, think and believe there's probably already 150,000 undiagnosed cases of colon cancer because we stopped doing screening colonoscopies in the United States today. And those people, unfortunately, being undiagnosed early will show up with more advanced disease. Finally, once patients do come in for care, how do you address that? And how do you address the documentation, the information technology and things of that sort? And that's where a company like Coda has actually already played a major role. So Coda working with Hackensack Meridian Health and its uh, single electronic health record, the Epic system, was able to abstract large amounts of data for COVID-19 infected patients in the early phases of the pandemic and was able to find insights well in advance of reports from clinical trials to help guide strategy and policy by the CDC, the FDA, and other federal agencies. Well, thanks for taking us through that. I think you shared something that no matter how closely I do look at the data or I'm close to the data each day, the fact that a tumor is doubling in size every 30 days is just something uh, that really can't be measured. That's something that I'd love to follow up with you about beyond this interview and maybe have you back on to talk about once we do have more uh, insight into this. Sure. Taking it a step further, what additional challenges do you believe the oncology field may encounter as a result of COVID-19? Well, Again, it's a multi, multi-tiered answer. So first, like all businesses in the United States, interruption of business flow is incredibly problematic. It's problematic on the clinical side, as I just described, but it's also problematic on the revenue side. You know, running oncology practice is very expensive. The overhead is, ex- is extensive. The cost of drugs are, are a lot maintaining employment and having readily available, well-trained, dedicated people is very difficult in oncology. And so the dramatic drop in cancer patients in the Northeast, in the early phases of the pandemic, when it was becoming realized it was a real problem, we started to see a slow drop in the number of new cancer diagnoses. 
once policies uh, decisions were implemented that shut, shut down, sheltered at home, the number of new cancer patients coming to cancer centers in the Northeast dropped by 75%. So the cancer programs were trying to support their infrastructure cost with only 25% of the patient volume they otherwise would expect, as an example. So that was a major, major problem. The other problem is maintaining your staff. I mean, our staff, they're called heroes, and they really are heroes. Not only are they coming to work when their kids are now at home because there were no schools and making accommodations for their children, but they're risking their lives. I mean, they're face-to-face with patients with COVID-19 that need chemotherapy, and we had to work ways around that. We had to make certain that our staff was protected, but that the patient flow continued and that the experience was, in addition to competent, compassionate, because people are scared at a baseline who have cancer and you add COVID to it, and it's it's overwhelming. And the other part was was reimbursement and, and insurance. You know, some people lost their jobs, lost their insurance. So you add all of that up. It's hard enough doing proper cancer care at the state of the art. You add all those other things in and you can see the problems that occur here. I'm just so proud to be part of a team of people that have just gone beyond what anyone could have ever expected and have really dedicated themselves to the benefits of their patients. And, and it's just, it's amazing to watch. These people truly are heroes. I agree. Um, thank you for that response. You alluded to this earlier. I don't want to call it the silver lining, but we have seen kind of an increase in the amount of collaboration that's happening across really all pillars of the healthcare space. Can you talk a little bit more about your experience with the collaboration with CODA, Hagensack, Meridian Health, and the Reagan Udall COVID-19 Evidence Accelerator? Yeah, this is really exciting. So, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of all invention, right? Well, right after the pandemic really took hold in the New York metropolitan area, and it was like waves of people coming to the emergency room and waves of those people being admitted and waves of those people going on respirators. And people were drawing graphs and realizing we're going to be in trouble if this keeps up in a couple of weeks. And we have no answers about anything. We came to realize that obviously the United States government and the academic institutions and the corporations in the biotechnology space are all going to turn their 100% attention to this. It's going to take time. And we don't. We need answers today. So we realized that every day, every patient was a treasure trove of information that you can learn from. Simple questions like, if you have high blood pressure, if you stay on your blood pressure medication, ACE inhibitors or ARBs, is that good or bad? Nobody knew. There were some data that suggested it could be really bad. Should you stop them? Should you change them? Hydroxychloroquine, which still is getting all sorts of attention, good and bad. Does it work? Does it not work? There were tons of anecdotes at work. There were safety concerns, trials that were months away from results, and things like that. Tocilizumab, which is one of several drugs that we give patients with the inflammatory cytokine storm who have COVID-19. Does it work? Does it not work? So we came to realize that with CODA's ability to abstract massive quantities of data in a very short period of time, working with a single EHR in one of the epicenters of COVID-19, we might be able to find some answers to these questions. 
And again, I'm proud to say I got to work with amazing people at CODA, along with amazing people at Hackensack Meridian Health, led by Dr. Stuart Goldberg, Dr. Andrew Ipp, and their teams of nurses. I mean, they had hundreds of nurses working to work with CODA to get the records ready for a proper abstraction. And we were able to answer fundamental questions for the Center for Disease Control and the Food and Drug Administration well in advance of any peer-reviewed publications. It was going so amazingly well that Dr. Amy Abernathy, the de- one of the deputy directors of FDA and the chief information officer of FDA, invited CODA to be part of the Reagan-Udall Foundation, which is an accelerator for discovery. And we were allowed to present some of the early data that looked at antihypertensives, that looked at hydroxychloroquine, that looked at very early on some of the antiviral studies. And we were able to show things far in advance of the publications that came out later that allowed the FDA and the CDC and other government agencies to begin to think about setting policy. So for that, we're incredibly proud to be part of Great. Thank you for going into detail there. Zooming out um, and looking at the impact of real-world data, just overall and in the healthcare space, I'd love to hear just from your lens of being an oncologist with years of clinical experience, perhaps you can take me through how an oncologist would be deriving insight from the EHR and really what benefit real-world data would yield to their efforts there. So it, it really comes down to you obviously want to do the right thing for the patient in front of you. And the patient in front of you has some characteristics that are shared with a lot of other patients that have come before you or come before other doctors, but then have some unique characteristics that are unique to them as an individual. And when they show up and sit in front of you, they don't always come in the same door. Not every patient comes in newly diagnosed, no other illness, never been treated. So it is a multifactorial process to first and foremost characterize the patient in front of you in a meaningful way so you can look and learn from prior experience of what worked, what didn't work, what was better, what was not as good to help guide your guidance to that particular patient at that particular point in time for what is their best path forward. You know, I like to use the analogy of Uber or Lyft and the the car service. So what makes Uber and Lyft or or other car services valuable is you literally at a point in time, in a position in time, and you're able to touch your phone in a certain way that results in a car showing up that you get to see in advance and track it as it comes to you. You get get in that car, you get information about the driver, It shows you the path you're going to take to get to your destination. You can track your path while you're on it, and you show up exactly where you wanted to on that path for a pre-fixed price, and this happens with almost 100% fidelity, and that's just getting a cab ride. We have nothing even close to that in healthcare, and that's your life. So think about what I just said, right? Think about that. So... The technology exists to do exactly what Uber and Lyft do in healthcare through companies like Coda, and that's why I created Coda. Because no matter how many maps I study, 
I don't have the ability to look overhead in real time to see where the traffic jams are, where streets closed, and what new detours are in place every day, every time I'm going from point A to point B. Now, do I? But Uber does, because as a satellite looking down and looking with street cameras and other things. Well, using that as an analogy, if I sit today, this moment, and looking at a brand new person who has a brand new problem, can I possibly know everything that's gone on with people just like them in the world in real time to help guide my decision by Googling it or by pulling a draw and reading some papers while the patient's looking at me? Or can I go to an app driven by Coda, just type in a bunch of characteristics about this patient, similar to you hitting on your Uber, find me, and it knows exactly where you are. And once those characteristics are in, in your algorithm, it can pull from the real world database, everybody just like me at this point in time, exactly where I am, and show the doctor everything that's been done and what worked the best. Pretty good tool, don't you think? That's Coda. That's what we built. And then you extrapolate that and you think about, okay, so for me to get from point A to point B on my car journey, I need something called a car. A car has to have tires. Be nice if the car kind of looks good and the seats are comfortable. That would be nice, right? Well, similarly, to get from point A to point B, I need effective therapies because point A is I'm starting with this thing in my body called cancer and I want to get rid of it and I don't ever want it coming back. And that's the end of my journey on my Uber or Lyft ride in this metaphor here. So how do I get from where I am to where I want to be free of disease, healthy, my life back? I need a car. Well, in this case, the car is a new drug, a biologic, a new surgical procedures. It's something. And unfortunately, for many patients, they start from a point where you can't get there from here. There is no path to a cure today. Well, God knows I want that to come as soon as possible, right? For me or someone I love. Well, imagine now that the life science industry and the Food and Drug Administration can look at for people just like me, everything that's been done up until now with everything that's available up to now and see which one was the best so that the next new thing that comes into the market, it can compare to the old thing that's the best we got today that gets me halfway on my journey. Doesn't get me completely to the cure destination, but gets me halfway there. And you can ask the question, did this get you further or not in this metaphor, right? And I don't have to do a prospective randomized trial that's going to take 10 years. I can do this in real time, in a limited number of people. And that's the promise of using real world data in the drug discovery process. Oh, and by the way, if there's five roads to my final destination, are one of the two of the roads more cost efficient, result in lower total cost of care than three or four of the other roads? And I add that too, I can accelerate discovery so I get further down the road, I want to get down, starting with the best value-based road, and you add all of that together, that's the promise of CODA. That was my original vision. And I realized we do that through digitizing the biologic narrative, created something called the CODA nodal address, the CNA. And the CNA is that is that data point that puts you in the place you are, 
who you are in the time you're there, just like where you're standing on the corner waiting for your car to show up. And it allows you to have a rational approach to you getting to your final destination. Incredible response. Every time we speak, those examples are super powerful and really put what we're doing into kind of real real time, real, real life examples. So thank you. Going back to the tail end of that, you had mentioned value-based. This, this also came up at the top of the conversation. Could you speak to how organizations should be preparing for a value-based care world? You know, it can get made really complicated really fast. I don't like complicated. I like simple. To me, I think everybody realizes you don't need to be an economist to understand what the gross domestic product of the United States is, you know, 19, 20 trillion, wherever we are today, probably a little less because of COVID now. When we start talking about we're spending an ever increased percentage of our gross domestic product on healthcare, that's a tale of two cities. It's actually really good because we can live better, more productive lives, longer lives because of modern medicine. And we're fortunate enough to live in a country that affords us that benefit. But it's bad because as you spend an ever-increasing percentage of your money on health care, there's other things like schools, the United States military, roads, and I can go on and on, that need money too for the quality of our lives, for the safety of our lives, for the benefit of our children and their children that we're not spending money on. So I don't think anyone... Republican, Democrat, or in between would argue it makes no sense to waste money, right? Nobody goes home and takes a stack of $100 bills and burns them. I never saw that happen. So if we could identify a way to maintain and improve the good outcomes, but get rid of the waste, no one's going to argue with that. Particularly if you create business models with the people doing it, they're rewarded for it. Like if I build a faster, better car, Elon Musk, right? That happens to be good for the environment. Society puts a value on that, right? Well, why would society not put a value on the people like doctors, nurses, healthcare systems, information technology companies like Coda that want to give tools to the marketplace that improve outcomes and reduce total cost of care? Why would that not be highly valuable? It should and it will. And so what I think most people need to understand is you can have your cake and eat it too. Nobody believes that in healthcare, but you can. Because the arguments that have occurred up till now are largely political and not based in science and biology. And that's unfortunate. You can improve outcomes and reduce total cost of care. You can get more and spend less money. And that's not rationing. That's not death panels. On the other side of it, you can't do that and not reward the people who are doing it. Because why would they do it? They'll go do something else. So what I hope and what I think is the rhetoric will die down as the reality, no different, you know, I'll go back to Uber and Lyft. There's a lot of rhetoric why it's no good. You're displacing this one. It's going to do that. This, but in the end, it's a better service. It's probably more cost efficient. And that's why it took off. Well, no different. I think value-based care will be a better service you'll get a better outcome. And if guided by companies like Coda with the precision of information that I described previously, people are going to like and want to do this. And in fact, I think in the end, they're going to demand it. It's exciting to see. I, I really agree. 
one question that we'll end on is really the how. So how can we make kind of all the factors come together and work to standardize the curation of real world data, evidence construction, and really just patient care? Yeah, that's a great question. So when you're an inventor, I have about 75 patents myself. Most of them are in stem cell science, but I have five patents now around CODA that I wrote um, with others in information technology. You're, you're a bit of a dreamer and you have to be. You have to, you have to not look at the ground level. You got to look further down the road and you don't, you don't think about the details. How the heck are we going to get there? And you kind of believe just because it's a great idea and it actually works, that everyone's going to do it tomorrow. Well, that's not reality. In fact, the more likelihood that it's going to be disruptive, the less likelihood people are going to embrace it right away. That's, that is reality. So because the United States healthcare system, and which includes the delivery of day-to-day healthcare, the administration of day-to-day healthcare, and the life science industry, the biotechnology and uh, pharmaceutical industry are all involved, and then you throw in for kicks the device industry, the pharmacy industry, and others. Trying to change anything at scale is going to be difficult. So I think now the strategy is a tipping point strategy. You got to fix the pieces you can fix one at a time. And the culmination at some point, you're not going to be able to predict because you don't predict tipping points. You only know when they're there. So specifically, you know, working with the Food and Drug Administration and them embracing real-world evidence will push the industry towards wanting real-world evidence more and more. If the industry wants real-world evidence more and more, there'll be more funding into EHRs to make unstructured data into structured data, more demands to do so, more regulation to do so from Congress. And before you know it, we'll take the garbage that's in EHRs today and turn it into something valuable. And we'll be able to abstract it and learn things in real time so we can accelerate drugs so that you can go further down that journey I talked about before and be able to afford it because drugs won't cost so much and take so long to develop. Well, similarly, on the payer side, if you come to them with models where you show, hey, look, for these diseases, breast cancer, COPD, you know, low back pain, whatever it is, we have, we have the ability to put informatics in place that will drive decision making to improve outcomes, reduce total cost of care. And you're going to give some of that savings to the doctors and the nurses and the healthcare hospitals administrators. So they do it. And you do one or two and it works. And now they want to do three or four. And before you know it, that's all they want to do. So ultimately, this will catch up to the point where CMS will be like, all right, well, you know, the country's moved. We're going to do it. And then, you know, when Godzilla says we're going right, we're going right. And that, that's where it will be. That's how I see it. Thank you for that response. And, and Dr. Bacora, thanks for taking the time to join us on Real World Talk today. You are a visionary and I always come away with a wealth of new information after speaking with you. So I hope the, uh, the listeners find the same value in this conversation and we look forward to having you back very soon in the future. Happy to come back and thank you. And you're doing a great job. Thank you very much. Thank you. Be well. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Real World Talk. For more episodes and to understand how we can all bring clarity to cancer care using real-world data, please visit us at CodaHealthcare.com. We look forward to having you next time on Real World Talk.